Bring it in. Read option back. Took a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, and by hiatus, I mean all of one show. Uh, I was doing, I was going back and trying to figure it out. And it was the first time we've only done one show in a week since last July. So we're coming up in almost a year. It is June 2nd as we're recording this. So it's been about 11 months since we haven't done two shows in a week. So I felt, you know what, with the holiday, Scotty was, <laughs> Scotty was going up to uh, to a wedding in Rhode Island. Uh, Vito was on vacation. I uh, have had just an insanely busy like last week, basically. Um, so we just gave ourselves a little a little rest here, uh, and we're back in time for tonight's game one of the NBA Finals. Uh, your Golden State Warriors, Scotty, taking on the Boston Celtics. No Vito today. Um, but yeah, you and I both had very, very long, long Memorial Day weekends, but very fun Memorial Day weekends. Uh, and so we're now we're in that like rest and, you know, trying to catch up a little bit. I'm still with my new job and where I'm working, I'm getting up at like 4.30 a.m. every day. So sleep is uh, I'm, I'm finding sleep when I can get it. I'm starting to feel a little bit like a parent who like, you know, you're just like, yeah, you know, when, when you can find a time to sleep, squeeze it in. Uh, but other than that. How are you doing? Vito just got a booster shot, so he's he's not feeling great right now. So he's, he's not on the pod today. I hardly um, know her. Uh, man, I'm good. It's it's that weird time of year where it's it's too hot to go outside. You're not used to the summer heat yet bearing down on you. Too hot to go outside. You're too cold because you're blasting the AC inside. But, hey, man, we've got uh, NHL Conference Finals. We wrapped up the NBA Conference Finals, and now we're into the finals tonight. We've got the Women's College World Series. I've got it on right now. Looks like Oklahoma's advancing to uh, to play Texas. Hook them. And, and uh, what else have we got? After uh, we, we got, just had Chris Plank on, you're going to give a hook them? Really? Hook them. Uh, and, and football's heating up, man. OTAs. I mean, oh, we're getting into it, boys. I'm bummed I did not get a chance to watch the match yesterday. The match is like – Oh, it what, was great. Yeah, I know. I'm really bummed I didn't get a chance. I had a work Josh- event. We could play with Josh Allen, you and me. We, we could hang. We could hang. He'll outdrive us, but we could hang. <laughs> I had a feeling. I know Mahomes is a pretty good driver, but I had no idea what to expect out of Josh Allen. I mean, yeah, yeah he, said, I'm he sure could he can, bomb it. Yeah, I'm sure he's hitting the ball 300 when he squares it up, 300 plus. Easy. But <laughs> but yeah, maybe the short game's just not quite there yet. Plus, Rodgers and Brady are both really good golfers. So oh, it was um, so cool to see them like analyzing putts and shot like especially mid-range to short-range shots. It was so good because you get an insight into how they look at, you know, the field when they're, when they're playing on uh, football, right? Yeah. Um, and, and for to see them sort of analyze in real time uh, with, you know, just them and a couple of cameras and some mics on, uh, that was really cool, I think. <laughs> how about it? Yeah, I, uh, I have not – I did not get a chance to watch. It's, it's a shame because it's like one of my favorite sporting events – um, and it, I think it'd been like a year and a half since we had the last one. Um, or was there one last summer? No, Maybe we did the one with, last summer yeah, with Bryson Shambo and, uh, and, and yeah. Rogers. And then it was what it was Brady and, uh, and Phil. They were yeah. the, yeah. So that was last summer. Um, they, but they did have the Bryson Brooks match, which I think was, 
was that this past Thanksgiving? Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah. So that's that's at least been in relative, you know, I'm maybe here for the two groups of amateurs uh, uh, that are pro athletes. I'm here for that. Yeah, I think that's fun. And especially, you know, with the stuff with Phil uh, and how his reputation and everything, with the Saudi golf league, which we will be getting into to close out the pod today. Some interesting stuff with uh, one of the most famous and, and well-known and one of the flat out best golfers in the world, Dustin Johnson. Um, but today's pod is going to be about the NBA finals. That's, that is our main focus point. There are a bunch of fun, like side sporting events F one with Indy 500 last week. Um, we've had a bunch of like side ones that are like, Oh yeah, I'll turn this on for a little bit. Um, but no, man, the, the main show right now is the NBA finals. And you know, the one thing you can't knock the NBA for is that more often than not, the best team ends up winning, Right. There, there's there's weird fluky years in the NFL. You have teams like the Giants who pull off a major upset. Nine right? and seven. Yeah. Um, you have years in baseball where a team just gets hot and they end up, you know, you know, like the Braves last year, right? They were the lowest seeded division winner, had the least amount of wins of any division winner, end up going on a tear and winning the World Series without their best player. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of other sports, hockey's that way as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but basketball tends to do a, a very good job year in and year out of like the best team is going to win. And um, I think we have what are probably the two best teams in the NBA at this point. And that's always easy to say in hindsight too, right? Because of course they both got here. I still think a healthy Bucks team probably beats Boston, but that's a factor. That's just kind of how neither here nor there. Exactly. We're here now. Um, So to clean up some stuff, because the last time we did have a pod, uh, Luca was trying to force a game six for the Mavs. He did so unsuccessfully, and it felt like Boston was in control of the series against Miami. And the next thing you know, Jimmy Butler drops 47 in game six in Boston to force a game seven, too. <laughs> and then damn near sinks a three on an unbelievable 13-point comeback in the last three and a half minutes of the game and uh, what would have been arguably the worst game seven blown series slash, uh, you know, game in NBA history, you know, and at least any game of significance, 13 points with three and a half minutes left. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Boston Celtics almost blew that was crazy. So um, let's start with that Boston and Dallas, or sorry, Boston and uh, Miami series. Um, Jimmy Butler, I said this on the pod uh, multiple times, and I know I've been hard on him. I know I haven't always I've never lumped him into the superstar category. I think he's in that that tier a little bit below. Yeah. But you know what, man? (laughs) After the run in 2020 in the bubble, and after what we've seen here, when you consider like, yeah, heat culture, yeah, they have Spo, but there isn't a true other star there. I mean, Bam's a kind of borderline star. Like, I'd rather have Bam than like a Rudy Gobert or DeAndre Ayton, but he's still not quite a full-blown star. Like, would you be willing to give him a max deal, if, especially as a homegrown guy, $250 million contract? Probably not, right? And so the fact that Jimmy Butler has done this twice and brought that team all the way back and and damn near – I mean, the dude played 48 minutes in a game seven yeah. when he was already banged up and found a way to even get that series to a game seven, win two in a row. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for the Heat, they just came up a little too short. For me, it's it's with Butler particularly. It it's it's weird, right? Because you, you look at 
the way he plays in the postseason. And and you say that, right? Like you're not willing to give him a max deal because, because uh, he's close to being a superstar, but not, I think that's largely based on postseason play, man. You look at his regular season stats, he's first in efficiency he's or t- in the top three in efficiency and the top three in per and the top. Th- he's at the top of all of these categories in the regular season. And then when it gets to the postseason and he has to be the guy, it somehow falls short almost every time. And that's, I think, where we're getting this narrative of like, well, it's he's hard not to say that he yet. fell short. I mean, yeah, I, he, I don't think he was fully healthy. Right. And he played three really, really bad games in this series. But he also was the entire reason why they were even in a game seven to begin with. Right. And, and the fact that he took both of those teams, both, you know, this team to the game seven of the Eastern Conference finals and the 2020 team all the way to the NBA finals, I think says a lot about what he can do in the playoffs. I think if anything, his regular season numbers are what hold him back from that superstar level because he's not putting in 30 points a game. He's not ever going to be an MVP of the league. But I do think when it's like clutch, like when it's crunch time in a big game, you want a dude who, even though he's not a great three point shooter and we'll get to the, you know, the logistics of him taking that jump shot, um, you know, with 19 seconds left, uh, he's still a dude that is going to give everything he has. I mean, I, I think back too to the Toronto series when he was with Philly, right? You know, he steals the ball there with like less than 30 seconds left and has an easy layup to tie the game before Kawhi hits the dagger. And no one ever remembers that because I only the only thing anyone remembers is the Kawhi shot. And I think he's just he's an all out guy and and. I will say I've probably been overly critical of him. And maybe that's just because maybe just because I didn't love the Jimmy Butler trade when it first happened, when he first came to Philly. Uh, And (laughs) and maybe it's just my (laughs) my brain trying to protect me a little bit here, but you have to think, you know, if he stays in Philly, right. He, he either, they either trade Simmons and they keep Tobias or when he Simmons still has values or maybe he gets more out of Simmons. But if nothing else, Ben Simmons isn't going to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game. You know, Jimmy Butler's going to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game. And then you can just use Simmons for what he's good at, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Um, mm-hmm. So I give, I, just, I give Jimmy Butler a shitload of credit. And at the same time, Boston, while they did hang on and Marcus Smart drilled two free throws at the end of that game, Boston – is so for a team that's been the most consistent team and the best team in the NBA since the new year, um, it's pretty wild how inconsistent they've been at times this postseason. I mean, they have seven playoff road wins so far this year, which is too short of the record. So theoretically, they could tie or break the record in the post or in the yeah, NBA finals. Um, maybe, maybe not. But I'm just saying, like, it's still an all-time performance of the amount of road games that they've sure. won. But that being said. That also means that they haven't been awesome at home with the exception of, you know, the, the Brooklyn series when they were up, you know, 2-0. They won the first two games at home, ended up being a sweep anyway. So the Jimmy Butler three, right, I saw a lot of people immediately after going on to social media and, and a lot of people saying, you can't take that shot. You got to go right at Horford. You have a one-on-one matchup oh, with Horford here. and do it. And my two cents of it, and this is something I kind of stand as, as a larger Twitter thing as a whole is 
I, and we've said this a million times, the whole, like, you didn't play the game, so you're not allowed to talk about it thing is bullshit, right? I think that's complete bullshit. However, you have to have respect for the fact that you didn't play, right? You can comment on it. You can have your opinions on it, and you can be right a lot of the times, but you do still have to respect the fact that you've never been in that situation. You don't know the speed of what's going on. You know, people like Stephen A coming out and being like, he's thinking, and you never about, will his be. <laughs> he's thinking about his legacy. He, he took a bad shot, he took a selfish shot. And it's like, oh, no, dude, like yeah. in that moment, he made a split second decision. And it was really damn close to going in. You know, if he had a little bit more legs, maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. Maybe if he just put a little, it just needed a little bit more. I mean, I mean we talk about this all the time in in all sports, but in particularly in sports like in baseball or uh, or hockey or golf, where like you have to make a decision within less than a quarter of a second and be technically perfect, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's th- that's what the greats do. For for people to be criticizing Butler about the shot choice, like get out of here! It's a game seven. You got 19 seconds on the clock. You're the best scorer uh, and, and on that team, and you're shooting the lights out of the ball for most of this series uh, with a couple of 40 burgers. Get out of here with that. That well, that's and, a stupid shot. It's not. And, it's and, and it's what statistically is, in the NBA too that uh, that three is a more valuable shot anyway. So like you want to go win the game like that. Well, like anal- analytically, yes, but that that applies to like a larger. Sure. Yeah. Well, what we're saying here, and then that moment, he went for the win. And if he makes it, and this is the biggest thing, if he makes it, the entire conversation is different. It's, it's, oh my God, the balls on Jimmy Butler to pull up on that chat. Oh my God, I can't believe he led that comeback and buried the three, which is supposedly the biggest weakness in his offense. And if he, and if he drives on Al Horford and gets stuffed, it's why didn't we? Why didn't he take that three? It was wide open. Even more so, like a lot of people said, like go and try to draw the foul. It's like, I don't think the refs are calling a foul there unless it's egregious. Especially on Horford, man. At the, yeah. Especially at the rim. And he's and he did a really good job that whole series. Then the games where he went off at attacking Horford and just attacking the rim altogether, that's definitely his strong suit. But at the mm. same time, like... Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, but like at, at, at the same time, <laughs> like pulling up from three there is... It, it's so easy to look back and be like, that was the wrong decision. That was 100%. the wrong thing to do. But yeah. I, I just think that's that's just dumb. I just think yeah. that's dumb. I and, agree. And, and I, I, I commend Jimmy Butler for having the stones to take a shot, even though, yeah, would you have rather been, you know, would you rather have him had a, a better look or a better shot or it worked out differently? Sure. But they also didn't play great that almost that entire game. They just barely hung around and made a run late and put themselves in a position where Jimmy Butler had a three to put them up one with 17 seconds left in the game. And Bingo. ultimately that's the fact that they did that alone. They deserve a shitload of credit. Um, the Boston Celtics. I think this matchup with golden state is going to be really fascinating because as of right now, I have no pulse or a lean really either way. Um, I have, I, a cu- I have a couple <laughs> of things that are, that are leaning me one way or the other, but I also think that, Boston's a really bad matchup for Golden State. I think Boston's size and length is going to be a problem when you consider that after Kevon Looney, 
they're going to have to put Bielitsa out there, right? And and Draymond can do certain things. I think Draymond will be able to hang with Al Horford, especially given Horford's age. But Horford has looked really good this year. Now, offensively, he hasn't looked great since the Milwaukee series. But defensively and just knowing positionally, I think the Warriors will be able to hang pretty well. The biggest thing with, with this Boston team is it's just they they look like a better – this is going to sound really dumb and basic, but hear me out. They look like a, a better version of what they've been, where the mistakes they've made over the last four years – in these playoff runs when they've been to the Eastern conference finals, when they've been to the semis um, and they've come up a bit short, they just haven't killed them. Right. I mean, Marcus smart had in in multiple games in that series, I think it was game four or game three. um, And then again, in game seven had multiple wide open threes that he was just missing, just flat out bricking three after three, because they were just two, but they were just double teaming. They were just double teaming Tatum. And they were giving the help stuff to Tatum and to Jalen Brown. And they said, we're going to make Marcus Smart drill threes at late in game, which he historically is not very good at doing at particularly in clutch. Like his clutch numbers are terrible, but he hit the two free throws when they needed the most. And in years past, you would think like he probably isn't hitting both of those free throws. Um, and, and essentially he did end up winning them the game, but we're still seeing shades of what this Boston team has always done They've just been able to squeak by a little bit. And the pessimistic side of it is like, oh, they just squeaked by. The optimistic side of it is like, yeah, but they won these games. But that's and how you win in, playoff games. And yeah. yeah, and they're in the NBA finals now. That's because what happened. It, you need that in the playoffs. You need exactly. everything to bounce your way, right? Because, you know, just like every other professional sport, it's a game of inches. It, it ultimately comes down to one or two small little plays and, and making your free throws and doing that, that little stuff. And Boston's at a point now where they're doing enough of the little stuff to get there, but the inconsistency still scares me. Now, we've seen the same thing from, from Golden State at points throughout this series too, um, and I'll say this. I do think Boston's had a tougher road to get to the NBA Finals, but they've also had multiple. They've had two seven-game series, and, and Golden State – In a row. <laughs> Golden State, you know, had Memphis without Ja. You know, they had uh, – who did they play in the – for Dallas – who are not Dallas, Utah, Denver, not Dallas, yeah. Denver, Jesus Christ. Um, they had Denver, which was a, you know, it was guard Jokic and let everybody else get theirs. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and everyone else on that team aren't even starters on most NBA rosters. That's how bad that, that Dallas, God damn, that Denver roster was. Uh, and then they didn't have to play Phoenix. They didn't have to go through the Chris Paul weird matchup kind of thing there. And then they get, a a Dallas team that just went cold from three, you know, and, and Dallas showed some fight and did some interesting things, forced it to a game five, at least to, to avoid, you know, really getting shut out there. But I, I think that's what makes this so tough, you know, because we can also, you know, criticize or, or downgrade the win that broke, you know, the, the series against Brooklyn because they're a mess, but you're still guarding Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You know, so it's How like hilarious is that, too, by the way, they both left their teams, KD leaving the Warriors to go to the to, to Brooklyn and Kyrie leaving the Celtics to go. to. Oh, Brooklyn. yeah, I didn't. And I, now, I thought about the KD and thing, but those are the two teams the playing in the finals. I mean, how about that? Both teams <laughs> got back to the finals before either KD or Kyrie did. That is really funny. Um, it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how this kind of series plays out. And 
I'll say it now while while we're on the topic and while we're kind of going on it is my lean right now is for Golden State. And there's a few there's a couple of reasons why. Um, The biggest one is that Boston inconsistency I was talking about earlier. Right. They've had games where they look like this defense is unbeatable. They are so dominant um, and, and how any team is supposed to score in them, but their ability to switch the size the size element alone and how much they can put out on the floor in any given moment is, is wildly impressive. But then you have, you know, Jalen, Jalen Brown can't dribble the ball more than like 50 times and yet still has a 40 point game. You know, Marcus smart has games where he's dropping 25 and has five steals and he ends up having nine assists and, and these crazy stat pouring in games and Jason Tatum, that. but like Jason Tatum also, as we're sticking here with the Boston side, you know, Jason Tatum also, at his best is a walking bucket and is as good of a scorer as we have in the NBA right now. And is also an exceptional defensive player. Yeah. So when they're good, they look amazing. And when they've been bad, they've been really bad this postseason, which isn't very consistent to the version of Boston we saw towards the end of the regular season. And I don't really know why that is. And I think that's what's making this series so tough because, you know, I don't really know how to put a read on it. I don't really know how to how to call, you know, Jason Tatum having a, a nine-point game or Jalen Brown turning the ball. I mean, Jason Tatum's leading the entire playoffs in, in over uh, in turnovers right now, right? And Which is typically a thing you hear about the Golden State Warriors, and yet the Boston Celtics have turned the ball over more. And now the Brights are getting even bigger, and they're going up against a team that has a lot more experience. And so the inconsistency of Boston, the chemistry – the experience in the finals that Golden State has not being afraid of the moment uh, while also still having a chip on their shoulder, right? Because everyone thought well, Clay gets hurt. He's gone for 900 plus days and KD leaves and Warriors have two bad years. And now every single season that like Steve Kerr has been the head coach of the Warriors that they've made the playoffs, they've gone to the NBA finals. He, Steve Kerr has never lost a playoff series as the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, which is just an absurd statistic. We're not counting the play-in against Memphis last no, year because they don't because the NBA doesn't count as a playoff. Yeah, as the playoffs. So right. game one sixty two. <laughs> so that that chemistry sixty three <laughs> the 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 experience everything that they built up to and built into <laughs> their whole run here since twenty fifteen is another feather in the cap and another reason why I kind of lean. Uh, uh, towards Golden State. However, I do think Boston's going to win at least three games in this series. And I think Golden State's probably going to win three games. And I think we're going to end up getting a game. I think it's a long one. I think we end up getting a game seven. And once we're there, my biggest trepidation is I don't think I trust Boston to win a game seven on the road in the playoffs after seeing how close they've come to losing the teams like Milwaukee in a game seven without Chris Middleton uh, and like, you know, Kyle Lowry's, you know, chubby ass and uh, Jimmy Butler on one leg and Bam Adebayo and, you know, Struess, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and all these random role players, you know, and the fact that they still almost lost and came back. There was just something off with Boston, even though at times, and I've been guilty of this too throughout this playoffs, there have been times where I'm like, nobody's beating Boston. Boston's going to win the title. And they've been my pick since the first round to win the title. But I'm leaning Golden State for a culmination of those reasons. But if Boston wins too, I'm not going to be surprised at all. I knew I liked you. Um, 
Now, so there's a couple of things I want to touch on. One, the first one is the 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 scoring. You mentioned uh, Jason Tatum, uh, who's a walking bucket, and and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart important at times. Al Horford's going to be hard to defend, even though he hasn't been uh, scoring as well as he did in in the Milwaukee series. But I'll counter that with guys like Steph, Clay, uh, Jordan Poole. Uh, I mean, Kaminga had 18 in Game Five. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, in Game Four. Um, you know, Draymond can get his when he wants uh, in the paint, and so I think that's probably where you're going to win the battles uh, in in the scoring margin. Can the Boston defense do enough to bother those guys? Is going to be the question. But for the switching aspect of their defense, I think Dallas and Memphis did a fair bit of this too. Now, granted, they don't have the length uh, and and strength that I think Boston has uh, on the defensive end, but that we saw a lot of this stuff, this this pattern of defense already, right? And we beat it twice. Uh, we I say we. I'm talking about the Golden State Warriors. Sorry. Uh, and, and and then the third thing for me that's huge is is the depth of Boston. Uh, it's a short, short lineup right now, and they're banged up, and they're asking a lot of their star players. Warriors are getting Gary Payton the second back. They're getting Andre Iguodala back. We've got a full squad, boys. Uh, and so we've got depth, not only offensively, but defensively. We've got guys like, like I just said, Gary Payton the second coming back. He was a huge factor on defense against Sean Morant in the second round. And, and Andre Iguodala, you don't have to ask much out of him, and, and we're going to ask him to play defense and just eat up minutes for, for guys like... I don't even know uh, if he's going to play much, though. I, I don't need him on the floor for more than 10 minutes. I don't. I mean, I don't need him on the floor for more than five minutes. But Iggy's also... It's also been a while since Iggy has looked even like a, a valuable player. Just, you know? just get out there and go bother Al Horford. Get him out of the game. That's all I need. Okay. I mean, well, uh, and that's why I think that having the, I think Draymond will be able to match up well. And, and, and part Devon of this too, too, if Robert Williams doesn't end up playing much in this series, which I think that's going to be a huge pivotal swing here as well is the difference when he's out there because he, he's not the defender that Al Horford is in terms of his ability to, to, to make reads. I mean, like the, the play, honestly, the most important play, arguably of game seven between Boston and Miami was the fact that Al Horford contested and was able to contest, uh, albeit a little bit late, but at least got a hand up against Jimmy Butler on that three pointer with 19 seconds left. And then immediately turned around and was able to get the rebound. Like that, that play is a little play that no one's yeah. going to pay attention to that. No one's going to notice, but go watch that three pointer, right? Al Horford's backpedaling. He's in the almost to the middle of the paint, you know, kind of in that in the slashing lane there, puts the brakes on it, goes and takes a step towards Butler. As soon as that shot's up in the air, Horford knows he's not there. He's already pivoting back to get in position for the rebound, secures the rebound. It ends up, you know, because that ball like popped up in the air, and there was a couple of guys from Miami who were down there, you know, that it could have been. And if he's not there, if he just chases after Butler on the three. You know, or if, if Horford continues to run and makes the three even more wide open, you know, for all we know, boss or uh, Miami gets the rebound and gets an easy put back. And then we have a tie game. Right. And then we're maybe looking at overtime in that series. So I think Horford's mental defense is huge. But what sure. he doesn't have at this point is the bouncy rim protecting explosive athlete that Robert Williams is. And in addition to like, look, 
everybody's banged up at this point, right? You don't get to this point in the season in professional sports, in any professional sport, and not feel like your body is deteriorating on you, right? Um, everyone's dealing with an injury. Everyone's banged up with something. And the rare few who aren't, like, I don't think Tatum's really dealing with a whole lot. I don't think Jalen Brown's really dealing with a whole lot. But at the same time, your body's just exhausted too. I look at that combination of Horford and Robert Williams is, I think that's a massive problem for Golden State. If they have, if they're on the floor, but Robert Williams, in addition to having, you know, surgery on his, you know, meniscus, it was a small tear, but that was, you know, right before the playoffs, he also has had bone bruises and he's had like some, some deep tissue stuff. And he's had a bunch of different small little tic tac injuries that I think have added up over time. And I think are really starting to, to affect him. And he's going to get tested with Draymond, but if Golden State throws Kevon Looney and Draymond at Robert Williams and Al Horford, that is a size matchup and athleticism matchup that when you look at the teams that uh, Golden State's had to play, they haven't really had to worry about that. They out-rebounded Jokic, right? Um, but they did get out-rebounded by Memphis a lot too with you know guys like Brandon Clark in that series who were snatching offensive rebounds left and right. But for the most part, they were able to do just enough with how much they shoot the ball, how much they were making it, the open shots, um, how well they played offensively. And Jordan Poole is still kind of doing stuff in that series too. It's going to be the difference on the offensive glass with the rebounding for sure. I, no doubt about that. But And scoring, one of the things that that I saw in the Dallas series, which is you know, odd for a Golden State Warriors team in the last 10 years is they've played the perimeter well. And they forced us to score a lot in the paint. We scored 62, I believe it was in game three out of, out of the paint. So, well, um, Steph's finishing more. I think this is the best we've ever seen Steph finish as, as in his whole underrated finisher. Well, he's always been an amazing finisher, but I also, he hasn't been shooting the three as well this playoffs. And and I also wonder too, with, as he's getting older and he's been dealing with the ankle injury since before the playoffs as well. I, I wonder if this is a little bit of Steph kind of cashing in his chips, right? Is it, is it a it's going it like, thing too? Like, well, so in the finals, at least, I guess, you know, I think it's ridiculous. All this stuff is like, well, Steph's never won a finals MVP and all that shit. Right. It's like anyone who doesn't make the claim that Steph is not the best and most important player on the golden state warriors just doesn't understand what they've been doing there for the last seven years, which is that everything revolves around Steph. And what he does and how he influences everybody else that, you know, when he's ball, the ball movement stuff that he does, you know, there was a play in the, uh, and in, in I think it was game five of the Dallas and golden state series when they closed it out where Steph's running and clay was kind of trailing Steph, almost like uh Cal Naughton jr. And Ricky Bobby, right? Like they were drifting or drafting behind each other and, and, Steph, and, and they engage. Were, yeah, literally. <laughs> and it's like, they both were running the baseline. Steph peeled out to go up to the top of the key. Clay ended up curling and then kind of cutting back to the corner, kicks it, to, it pass goes to Steph. The help defender comes off to go to him. Clay is wide open in the corner. Steph kicks it down to Clay in the corner. At that point, the help defender comes out because it's Clay Thompson for an open, wide open three. And he passes it down to Looney for a wide open dunk. And, and that's the kind of infectious stuff that Steph does that makes him so special. It's why he's one of the best 
you know, if he wins this title, I mean, he could be in the top 10 of all time. Honestly, I, I, I think that's a realistic debate. <laughs> Four rings and, and what, six trips to the finals? Um I mean, that's LeBron's been what seven times and has won four. He's been ten. He's four of ten, I believe. Has he, has he been to ten? I believe so. Yes. Oh seven. One in oh seven. Oh seven with the Cavs. Three with the three with, with the, the heat, heat. Four with the Cavs. No, he only went to three with the Cavs. Or three with the. Yeah, and that's then uh, with the Lakers. Oh, so he's at nine. So he's four of nine. Okay. All right. Um. So we'll split the middle between what we had there. Um, I was like, damn, dude, 10's, 10's insane. Brady's been to 10 Super Bowls. So maybe that's what, ah, that's what it is. Um, but, yeah, I just I just think what Steph does offensively is – and that's what's going to be really interesting, too, is to see how they end up getting chased around. And I, I actually – I wrote this down, too, because in order for them to win, the Warriors, they need borderline Herculean efforts from a couple of role players. And to me, the two that I think are the most important, and, and part of this also is if Clay is if Clay's back to the level, or at least the fear of like I can take over a game like he did in Game Five against Dallas. You know, if if he can still strike that fear in defenses, that changes a lot of this too. Um, but not including Clay in this, when we're just talking about role players here, who do you think is more important for the Warriors to win, Looney or Wiggins? That's a tough question. Sorry, so I, think, I left a huge pause there. <laughs> no, you're fine. I was thinking. Um, I think you need to be. I, I think, think you need both to be really good. But I think, I think uh, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be Looney. Truthfully, yeah. See, that's kind of where I was leaning too. I think it's Looney because he's the only one. And apart from Draymond, he's the only one who can both. He can play out on the perimeter. He proved that against Dallas. Um, and and to in an the mid range, if he's if he's guarding Horford, um, and then he can he can dominate the glass, and then just be the guy on offense you need to set screens up top, and then run through down low if you need to. And, and granted, Boston's a good switching team, but so was da- like I said at the top of this. So was Dallas. Dallas was a great switching defensive team. Again, the length and, they switched uh, a lot, but they Boston's weren't but they defense. weren't a good defensive team. Like. Like Dallas switched a lot, but they I wouldn't call them a good defensive team. Like Golden no, State has not had any team. I, there's no other team in the NBA that's as good as Boston. Boston's the best defensive team in the league. I'm not arguing that. I'm just yeah. saying the, the, what they what they saw defensively is I think going to be similar. But again, the length and strength of Boston's defense far is far superior than than any of the two uh, of the previous teams that we've played that that do well on defensive switches. So I think that's going to be a factor, but again, to that point, maybe that's where Wiggins steps up offensively. And it's like, Hey, you're smart. You're going to be on Steph. Uh, uh, Jalen Brown, you're going to be on, on clay. Like, all right, my time, let's go. Uh, Wiggins Wiggins has to be, Wiggins has to be really good in this series defensively. And he needs to be probably not all of what he was, in the Dallas series, those first three games, and he was averaging uh, like 25 but, a game. But, but he, Poole, needs, he needs to be pretty damn close. Poole needs to step up offensively too. Yeah. Because we haven't seen Which a good game a out of him of a, since. Yeah, I mean, remember in the first round when everyone's Memphis, talk, everyone started calling him the third splash bro, and it's like, well, yeah. maybe maybe we just pumped the brakes on that. I love Jordan Poole. I think he's a stud. But, you know, maybe we just pumped the brakes a little bit on calling him 
you know, the third splash yeah. bro, you know, because yeah. since that first round, I think he had one like 20 point game in the Memphis series. And then he's been a very good role player for them, but he needs to probably have at least one or two, like 25 point games, you know, when they put, you know, Peyton Pritchard in, right. When Boston has some of their subs in and he gets the matchups there, he has to be the best player on the, on the floor in those cases. And even if he, you know, you force them to put Jalen Brown on Jordan Poole, right? What that opens up for Clay. But this is also a situation where I think the Golden State system helps them a lot. And part of what, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier about Steph kind of cashing in his chips. Like the, the Golden State system is, is always predicated on the idea that Steph, everyone's terrified of Steph when he walks onto the court, right? And I think because he knows right now he doesn't have his three to the same level that he's had it in years past, he's been taking advantage of the fact that teams play so afraid of him that he's been able to get to the rack sooner, right? I, I've had this theory for a long time. I never understood why perimeter defenders, like guys like Marcus Smart, will pick up their ball handler like seven to ten feet outside of the three-point line. Because with NBA guys today, they can get if they get by you, you're fucked. You know, and with Steph, it's with Steph Steph can also hit that shot. Well, that's the thing with (laughs) Steph. It's when it was Jimmy Butler and Marcus Smart was doing it. It's one thing when it's Steph, it makes a little bit of a difference. Right. And I can at least understand why guys are more willing to do that. Then same thing with Kevin Durant. But that has now allowed Steph to take it to the rack more. And this playoffs has been the best stretch of his career at just hitting mid range jumpers. And, and floaters and getting to the rim and finishing at the rim, even though he has, as we said before, in always ISO been too. an underrated, uh, yeah, <laughs> underrated, you know, inside, uh, has had an underrated inside game. Um, it's going to be interesting. And I really do hey. think a lot of this comes down to the health of, of Robert Williams. I think the and games you- where he's in, I, I think, I think it's going to be really hard for Golden State to match up with him. To your point too, though, about, uh, about the Warriors system is that, so we had an opportunity to probably trade some of it. We had two first round picks last year. We used them both. We had an opportunity to probably trade one or both and a couple of other assets and get another superstar to put alongside Steph for most of the season. And then whenever Clay come back, we'd have, you know, the big three Wiggins and, and Draymond. Um, and we didn't. And, and that was an, an interview that, uh, that our owner, uh, Joe LaCoe, uh, talked about. Uh, that that question can't yeah, yeah don't even Lincoln. know don't even know your own owner's name <clears throat> Get out of here. calls um, himself a Warriors fan so so we didn't do that and we kept the core and we we ended up with these these young guys Jonathan Kaminga Moses Moody uh, guys like that Jordan Poole even who came out of the G League um, as well um, and so we kept that core and and I think this is going to be especially as as hopefully tired and banged up as, as Boston's been, this is a grind. We've been there before. Now we've got the young kids and the depth uh, and the, the knowledge and ex- expertise of guys like the Steph clay, Dre, Iguodala, even who's even if he's on the bench, um, Gary Payton coming back that those guys can run around. Right. And it's youth and, and it's talent. And, and here we are again uh, in, in the finals. And if that's something that, can help even in those in those minutes where we're just trying to eat minutes so we can get Steph or Clay or Draymond some rest. Well, um, and it's and you give you have to give Lakeham and and, and uh, Joe Myers and, and everybody in that front office like a, a ton of a ton of credit because they didn't sell all the assets to bring in another star. 
But that's also kind of been Joe Lacob's like whole thing, right? Is like his whole mindset here is we want to be good for decades and decades for after Steph, you know, after Steve Kerr, after Draymond and Clay, right? We don't want to necessarily sell out. And instead it's a little Spursian in that they're like, hey, we're going to go bring out and bring in guys who we can, when we have opportunities, because there are going to be down years and there are going to be injured years where we're going to have opportunities to draft guys higher than, than what we are used to drafting. And we're not going to be like the Lakers who give up everything to get Anthony Davis and then give up even more to go out and get Russell Westbrook. And now we're sitting here with the thumb up their ass, having no idea what the hell they're going to be able to do, you know, and, and how much better can they even get with a Russell Westbrook Brook trade? And the fact that they're hesitant on giving up a 2027 first round pick in conjunction with getting rid of Russell Westbrook, because that's kind of the conditions that reportedly teams are asking for. If, you know, they're going to take on Russell Westbrook's contract, they want a first round pick with it. But it's a, the, the next first round pick that they have is 2027. That's wild. So <laughs> the Lakers, and they this know- This is just a Warriors fan laughing at the Lakers. <laughs> and, and I think the Lakers know that LeBron in the next two or three years probably isn't going to be on the Lakers. Uh, and who knows at what point he's going to retire. Anthony Davis, like, look, they won a title, right? So you have to say that the trade was worth it. But Anthony Davis doesn't look like the guy that he was before. If you win a title, it's worth it. Any trade is worth it if you win a title. And that's, I mean, that's yeah, just how I, I, I think it's the expectation of having put AD and LeBron together. But anyway, sure. Has it lived up to the hype that we all thought it was going to be? No, it hasn't. But they still won a title. And if you win a title, it counts, right? It hasn't been four or five titles. It's only been one trip to the NBA finals with LeBron. And then now they've, you know, got bounced in the first round of the playoffs as a seven seed last year and then didn't even make the play in tournament this year. Um, but again, if you make that trade, it's worth it. Why, what I love about what Golden State did is, is like, and that's, again, part of what the Russell Westbrook thing is. It's like, I think they're afraid to make that trade because they know that at some point once LeBron leaves and if hopefully that, you know, they might still have Anthony Davis, they're fucked. They have yeah. no idea what they're going to, they have no idea what they're going to have moving forward. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of bet on the culture you've built there, which is one of those buzzwords we love to overuse in sports, but bet on the culture that you have and know that guys like Steph get make Jordan Poole into what would be a rotational player or even a borderline, you know, NBA player into a really, really important asset and a great sixth man and a guy who now, you know, if he was on the open market would get a big contract from somebody and, and Looney too, for that matter. I mean, Looney can go wherever he wants next year. I mean, think about all think about all the guys that have. I mean, Anderson Verjao and Zaza Pachulia, right? And, and oh, Pachulia, I miss you know, that guy. All these dirty players, <laughs> Andres Biedrins. <laughs> I mean, there's been so many. You know, Maurice Spates. There's been so many other guys hmm. who, who benefit off of. I had a Maurice Spates. Sean Livingston. Sean, Sean Livingston. Those years, his mid range was just fantastic. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it is funny watching Jordan Poole, you know, he does kind of offer, I mean, Sean Livingston never shot threes. So that's obviously a little bit different, but there are some similarities there into what they can offer as a bench scorer in that system. When, when you get a chance to play with Steph, with clay, uh, you know, they just make everybody better. And that's ultimately what they decided to bet on. And now here they are, and they're going to have a chance to be good for, you know, the next five years on top of this too, in a Western conference that really kind of feels up in the air. 
because who knows what Phoenix is yeah. going to be in the future. I mean, you know, you know, Luca is going to be there. Dallas. You know, Lucas is <laughs> going to get better. Uh, and yet, you know, the Mavs are going to get better. But who else is out there that that really scare? I mean, Memphis has a chance to be good. Memphis, you know? yeah. But still, Ja, we know, is a superstar. But then who's the number two there? Like, there's not a single team there that you go like, oh, yeah, like they're going to be a problem for Golden State here. And I'm not saying that Golden State's now just going to go back to the finals every year like they did before. I think it's going to be far Can more difficult for I them. I like that. <laughs> but I think they will still have a lot of opportunities, whereas like Boston, and I'm curious too to see how much pressure Boston feels in this series because once Boston is is Boston being here, you know, next year, who knows what happens? Like, think about Brooklyn. Like, if Brooklyn gets their well, shit yeah. together, right, and it's still Kevin Durant, and if they end up moving on from Kyrie or they are able to bring back Kyrie and they are able to repair some of that, they're as scary as anybody, right? Uh, if if another year with Harden and Philly works out, and maybe that's all they need, and Harden comes back healthy and in shape next year they're going to be a problem. Milwaukee. Uh, and then the biggest one, yeah, is Milwaukee. And then still even Miami, the team that just took them seven games. So, <laughs> yeah. I, right. And no. on top of all of that, Boston has never been there before. And every time that this Celtics team has gotten to that next level, you know, they, they got to the, the Eastern Conference Finals back in, was that, 2018? And they were way too young to be there. And it didn't work out. And they get smoked by uh, the Caps. Right. And then they've gone to the semi and then they like, I think they lost in the first round. Then they got to the semis the next year, lost in the semis. And they got to the Eastern Conference finals in the bubble, lost there last year. They get to the semis, they lose. So actually, no, I don't even think when did Boston lose last year? Yeah, they lost to Milwaukee. No, that was Brooklyn. No, that was Brooklyn. Oh, they, they lost to Brooklyn in the first round last year. Yeah. So it feels like this Boston team, every time they've gotten to that next level, they've come up short like the first time they get to that next level they've come up short so it'll be really interesting to see how this all kind of unfolds um but it's hard not to look at jason tatum and jalen brown and mark smart and robert williams and al horford and the guys that they have out there and not be worried um but But if that's it then fine like that's what i'm talking about with depth (laughs) sure but you know the warriors have eight more guys that can come out on the floor and play i mean Derek white's been good for them uh, especially on Pritchard. the defense, uh, Peyton Pritchard's been really good for them, but he's going to be a little, he's the one defensive weak spot that they kind of have. Um, you know, even Tice has been good in spots when he's playing 15 minutes a game. So they at least have bodies that they can put out there, even if it's not the deepest team, but this is the NBA finals. You know, those guys are going to be playing even less minutes than they were sure. playing in the conference finals. Uh, and, and Golden State does have the rotational depth, but again, you want your five or six, probably four, your seven best players really is what it comes down to your best seven against the other team's best seven. And that's really who wins the, the NBA funds. Uh, and it's going to be a really fun series. I'm excited for it. Um, your official prediction is. I have to golden state in six. Golden state. Warriors. Six. Golden state in six. And I'm going to take golden state. In seven, okay. I think it's oh. a full. I think it's a full seven game series. I think. I think that this new, you know, Chase Center, whatever it's called, it's not the same as Oracle. The energy is not the same as to what that place oh, that was so disagree. Special. It's not. It's just not. I, it's, dude. it's a notch below. It's, it's close though. N- the it's Oracle, ne- it'll Oracle, never be Oracle. Oracle in those prime years was arguably the hardest oh. place to play. And in, in, so in it's basketball. louder. It was louder sometimes in a Penn State game. I'll tell you that. Um, and this place doesn't have it, but 
So I do think Boston it's will close. win a couple games there. Um, but also Boston hasn't been great on the road. And I think Golden State has played pretty decent on the road. I, I, I like Golden State. I think now for tonight's game, since this the game will have already in the series will have already started by the time where you know people are listening to this. Who do you think wins game one? It's tough, man. Uh, Boston just came off an emotional uh, series, a hard-fought series where they went seven games, and that's two seven-game series in a row. I think if it were one seven-game series, I would say Boston just because of the emotion, but I think they're tired, man. Yeah. And and the more rest you give Steph and them boys, the more they'll figure it out, and especially at home. uh, We haven't lost – I'm not going to say that. Uh, anyway, I think it's, I think we win. uh, golden state wins tonight. I also have golden state winning tonight. We'll see. It should be fun. All right. Take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk a little bit of golf as well as two NFL retirements that came out today for a couple of, uh, long time NFL vets. Uh, and we'll get all that on the other side. All right. So we have the NBA finals getting ready for that. Uh, some unrelated non-basketball news that came out. We'll start with the NFL. Two retirements that were announced today. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, calls it a career after 17 seasons. Wow. The beard. And Frank Gore. All-time oh. San Francisco. Third time, third uh, all-time in rushing in NFL history. Uh, longevity. He's like the Jamie Moyer of, of, of NFL running <laughs> That's backs. a great cup. It's just like, man, he's just, it's like, how, how did Jamie Moore get to 300 wins at it's 50? Like, like, I was like, cause he, he played until he was 50. Um, just an absolute so Tom Brady. Stud. So honestly, I wonder if he, if there's been another 50 year old, like of the four major sports that has played into, Wasn't in, there into a their quarterback 50s. for the Raiders. That was like close to 50. He was like 47. This was in like probably the, 60s. but I mean, since Jamie Moore, like if Brady were to play until he was 50, which I don't think he will, but if he were, I think, and also, I mean, look at pictures of, of Jamie Moyer at 50 oh, versus yeah. what, what Tom Brady is going to look like at 50 um, or how even look at it. 45 um, either way two all time guys. Just, I feel like just league wide beloved guys. Like, even if you didn't, I guess if you're like a rival of one of those guys, you know, which it's kind of tough for, for Fitz because Fitz played for nine different NFL teams. So he was probably everybody's rival at some point. Um, Didn't Frank Gore? (laughs) Well, Frank Gore played for what? The Niners, the Colts, Miami, like Buffalo was sprinkled in there. Did he play for Buffalo? (laughs) I don't think he played for Buffalo. He was definitely on the Jets. Yeah. I think his last stop was with the Jets. Did he play in Miami? Yeah, he had to stop. No, I think his last stop was in Miami because that's where he's from. He went to he went to the U. Uh, he did go to Miami. the U. Let's see. I'm thinking of George Blanda, by the way. George Blanda, who uh, was the uh, 48 year old quarterback for the Super Bowl champion o- Oakland Raiders. I'm trying to pull up here. This article doesn't even have all the teams that Frank Gore. There it is. Yeah, so he did actually have a year with the Buffalo Bills in 2019. So it was, yeah, it was 14 or 12 years with the, with the Niners, two with the Colts. Legend. Uh, 21's getting retired at Levi's Stadium. Well, he's already going into the Hall of Fame. They announced it. Um, 
went on to play for the Miami Dolphins in 18. Oh, look at that. Bills in 19 and the Jets he, in 20. He's signing a one day with San Francisco to, to uh, retire as a 49er. How about That's that? That's awesome. Much respect. I, I mean, love em- that guy. Emmett Smith, 18,355 yards. Walter Payton, 16,726. Frank Gore, 16,000 on the dot. Unbelievable. Frank the six, Tank. I mean, and it's smart for him to never, you know, rush, never go again because he can say that he averaged a thousand yards for every season that he played in the NFL. Oh, I like that. And he boxes now. Did you see? Well, yeah, you seen and he knocked the shit <laughs> out of another dude. Um, and and yeah, and then after you know Frank Gore. Also, shout out to the, he's probably got the biggest set of balls, like literally in <laughs> in the NFL. Do you see those old, like, you know, close-up shots of him? He didn't wear a cup and, like, in the pants. It was, like, a long-running NFL meme back in, like, early Twitter days. Uh, yeah, shout-out to Frank Gore. And then, yeah, Fitzpatrick, man. It's Fitzmagic. It's a shame the beard is is out of here. Um, just a really likable guy. It's a shame he the way he went out. That the hip problem last year. The, the problem is, though, moving forward is who's going to be the did-you-know-he-went-to-Harvard guy in the NFL? Hmm. Who's like the sneaky went to Harvard player now in the Ooh. NFL? Yeah, Let's get Zach Parker on that. We'll say Harvard current NFL players. Hmm. Cam Brait. Uh, oh, Cam Brait. Wow. Kyle Juszczyk. Oh, uh, the juice. I forgot the juice went to, to Harvard. That's yes, right. He did. Anthony Ferkser, the tight end for the Titans. Uh, Tyler Ott, who is a long snapper. You mean for the Ferkser, the, uh, the uh, Titans' second uh, receiver or rece- receiving leader next year, because uh, uh, they have nobody to throw to. Yeah, not not a ton. So I guess I guess I would give. It's either gonna be Cameron Bright or Juice Check, but I think you got to give it the Use Check, right? A fullback who went to Harvard. That just feels antithetical. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Fullback's not a very cerebral position. It's uh, just. Well, for the Niners, you got it. I mean, what use what use does? He's got to do a lot more than they <laughs> yeah, just smash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like Mike Allstott era. Um, so yeah, shout out to two all-time lovable, likable guys. Uh, always loved Frank Gore. Always loved uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as well. Uh, and the last thing I, w- I want to hit on here before we wrap up the pod, Scotty, uh, we talk about golf a good amount on this pod. Uh, and when all the stuff with Nick or with Phil Mickelson came out back in what, February, beginning of February, I think yeah, it was, like with, with the Saudi Golf League and his comments on some of that. Didn't make him look particularly good. Uh, was not able to be at the PJ Championship as the defending champion, um, which I know a lot of players are bummed about. Well, the LIV, the Live Live, whatever people are calling it, um, Golf League announced its first roster. 54? Um, yeah, <laughs> well, so that, but that's, we talked about numeral joke. <laughs> no, but that's, that's actually what it's about. Oh, right. <laughs> because 54 is like the lowest possible like score. Oh yeah. <laughs> or it's the lowest somebody's ever shot or so. I forgot. No, I, I forget what it is, but it is like a golf related thing. Um, but the, yeah, the, the, the live golf course announced its first set of uh, contestants. And look, when you look down the list, it was all guys that had been rumored Lee Westwood, um, Graham McDowell, Sergio Garcia, a lot of guys like that. Um, no Phil Mickelson, which was interesting. Um, I don't know if the pushback was just so much that he just decided, 
I'm just staying away from it on both sides, both PGA and for, you know, the Saudi golf league. And I'm just stepping away. But the big shocker is Dustin Johnson, um, which look, Dustin Johnson is one of the best golfers in the world. I think for a long time is, is one of the most beloved golfers in the world. Reportedly, he was offered a $125 million contract, which is absurd. Um, and, and when you see numbers like that, and, and if he finishes top four in the, you know, the eight events that wrap up, which he definitely should when you look at the field uh, and the guys, I mean, like Chase Kepka, like Brooks's younger brother, who's trash and like hasn't, I think he's finished like in the top four or sorry, in the top like 30 at a golf event, like twice on the PGA tour and then never really came back. Um, he should he's do chasing very the title. Well. So when you think about that, I think if he does that, it's like an additional $35 million on top of the 125. So we're talking about like a $160 million contract potentially for, I don't know how long it'll probably be a couple of years, but it's just, a, it's an obscene amount of money. So you throw that number on it. Look, that's a, that's a lot. We all know money talks, but that's, that's a big number and people will throw their morals away for a lot less. Uh, but I learned this too. Have you ever looked at the all-time earnings winners on tour for, you know, based off of wins? Hit me. Uh, number one is Tiger is 125 million. DJ is number three with 74 million dollars in career earnings just from the tour. Just from the from golf. Just from yeah, Not just from winning sponsorships or anything. Nope. Okay. Just from the tour. 74 million dollars on tour. So now you're talking about 125. DJ's gonna be have made over 200 million dollars on career earnings just from playing golf, not from sponsorships or anything else. Um, look, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And if you're willing to, to do this, and I'm not going to sit here and try to be holier than thou and say, oh, he's a sellout, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think he kind of is. But at the same time, you know, you put that kind of money in front of 99% of people. And I think a lot of that, I, I think a lot of people say yes to it. Um, but <laughs> one of the things that we haven't talked about with all the Saudi stuff is where that money has come from. Oh yeah. It's blood money, right? It's blood money. Right. And, and it's blood money from a government and, and I'm free to say this, uh, it's blood money from a government who's willing to freely kill a journalist because they didn't want him saying what he did. Yeah. And, and, and that was just like and all. Three, that was just like three and, weeks like, ago. So how are we, how, like, how are we at a, at a point where, Hey, that that's six figures. That's a lot of guaranteed money for me uh, in golf means. Yeah. But you know where it's coming from, right? Like, I don't, I don't get the, the premise behind uh, or the, the morality behind it. And again, I'm not here to judge the morality. You can make your own decision at the end of the day, but just recognize how like awful that decision is. A hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's the definition of, of selling out. And, and the other thing I would say too, is you've already made $74 million on tour. Just on career. golf alone. Yeah. And you, you, you factor in, he's probably made an additional what? 60 million on, oh, on, on sponsorship on deals, right? It's probably way more, you know, yeah. like tiger was pulling in like a hundred million a year on sponsors at his peak. And DJ is nowhere near the value that tiger was, you know, back in the day, 
but I'm just saying career earnings in, in sponsorships, let's say conservatively, it's $75 million too. Then you're at 150 million a year, not just like, I don't even think it's probably that much per year, honestly. I mean, maybe it is, but nonetheless, he immediately lost his sponsorship with RBC as did Graham McDowell, who's been his like number one sponsor for the majority of his career. He's won at uh, both RBC events, the one at Hilton Head and the one in Canada. I believe it's the Canadian Open. Um, it's just it's just a shame, I think, for somebody who a lot of people really liked. And if you have enough yeah. money to say you've made over $150 million in your career, do you really need an additional 125 that's coming from blood money and coming from people who, who kill yeah. people who, you know, speak freely and kill people who are gay and, and, and LGBTQ. Um, it's just, as it's, we begin pride month. too. Yes. And that's what I was just going to say. It's, it's, <laughs> it feels like even more kind of a dick punch. Um, it's and, weird, man. Like, cause just, or almost said Justin Thomas, he's even, I hope he never goes, but Deej was like beloved. He was one of those guys that was like, Oh yeah. Like how can he not like this guy? Right. Yeah. He was just, you know, quiet dude. If you ever watch any of the YouTube videos with him, he's always come across as very likable, like a very like likable, nice guy. Um, but again, money talks, man. And I'm not saying that's right. I, I would hope that if I was in that position, I, I would say no to it too, but that's a hard thing to look at and, sure. and still turn down. So like, not to say that it, it's morally the right thing to do. I'm also fascinated to see moving forward, you know, the PGA came out and was very, very clear and concise with their, you know, with their rules and said, you are not playing in both leagues. If you're playing there, you're not playing for us, but the more important or at least the bigger one is how are places like the British open and I was, was going to say major US it's open be, yeah. and the masters and how are they going to respond to this? Yeah. Because if they allow for these guys to still play and you're looking at, you know, chase Kepka is all of a sudden going to be pulling in more money than Brooks and is, you know, one, one thousandth of the golfer that Brooks is. I mean, it's hard to look at that and be like, yeah, but dude, like I don't for sure. And that's, and that's but, why I, but I love the, guys the... like Rory and stuff who, and this is the other thing that we didn't bring up here with Dustin Johnson is when his name was coming out back in February, he released a statement in mid February, pledging his allegiance to the PGA tour and said that I'm going to get in front of this right now. I'm going to put all of this to bed. I'm fully 100% committed to staying with the PGA until, until they put 75 million more dollars in front of them. But look, like, exactly. and it's, it's a moral conundrum for, for, and the PGA is interesting, right? Because like, it's not, while it is like a, a centralized group, like, like we think about leagues like MLB, the NHL, the NBA that are centralized, right. And, and have this structure where uh, the, there's there's a group of teams that are owned by certain people and those owners are a part of a coalition and the league they own the teams that are part of their coalition and so everyone is agreeing with everyone else right well, but and there's that's unions what, and, and, and that's what unions and collective bargaining agreements are about and but, you get paid whether you win or lose yeah and but in golf it's different right like you don't have to get invited to a particular tournament or a particular course. It's it's the PGA is centralized for players who are involved, but it's not like any particular course is or tournament is going to say, uh, 
hey, like you're not invited. Now here we are at the doorstep of of that where it's like, hey, you want to play at the U.S. Open? Uh, no, I don't think so. USGA is like, it's going to tell you no. Or hey, you want to play at Augusta? I don't think so. You're going to have to not play in that Saudi league and take blood money. Like that's, you know, that's the the difference and the and the weird you know con- controversy about what uh, the the differences in the PGA. That's it's well, it's going to be interesting. Be- there will be a precedent set with the British Open next month. There, you there think will, so? well, there, yeah. And, and look, they can always go back and change it, right? Like you said, like the USGA can can change it. Not every major has to necessarily have a conform. I think it would be smart for because we all know that the PGA. Um, I don't think, and now people also get the PGA confused with the PGA Championship. The PGA Championship is not run; it is a separate entity from the pga like they're, they're two separate things yeah golf right? is very convoluted like that i guess was my point yeah um but i would like to see a united front from the from the majors i would like them to say either all collectively i i hope collectively they all say if you play in that league you're not going to be allowed to play in the majors and until you are no longer in that league and also there's may there's probably a pretty good chance that you know uh dustin johnson wins you know, it goes over, plays two years on that tour, pulls in 125, $150 million, and then comes back to the PGA Tour later. And at that point, is it going to be like, well, what's his reputation at? He'll be 39. He's 37 now, so he'll be 39, almost 40 at that point, right? Um, and I also wonder, too, you know, Dustin Johnson still has the juice to be one of the best golfers in the world, but he just got married. He has kids. He wants to have a, a life. Is this going to be like, uh, hey, you know what? there's a million unbelievable young golfers on tour right now. And I don't think I'm going to be able to win at least not to the level that I'm used to. And I can go over there and the competition is going to be easier and I can make a shitload more money and I can be out. And also not trying to defend him here, but like, because clearly the Saudi golf league is a million times worse, but like, let's not pretend that like, financial companies and stuff aren't also scumbags who have a ton of skeletons in their closet. Right. And, and they they don't have plenty of backstabbing, gross shit, gross histories, disgusting ties to organizations. They do too. It's just nowhere near the same level as what the Saudi golf league or what the the Saudis are and what they represent. Um, And, and kind of the spit in the face it is to, to something like pride month this week and to stuff like that. And it's just a shame. It's just a shame. So with that being said, wish him all the best. Just like RBC said, wish him all the best in his future endeavors. I will not be watching Dustin Johnson play golf anytime soon. Um, nope. and as a golf fan, that's a bummer. But as a person, I'm going to be able to – I'll be okay. <laughs> and I think yep. all golf fans will be okay. Um, how about Roars? I mean, how about that? <laughs> Well, Rory's the best. I love Rory. But Rory, too, I mean, like, I love the comments he's made about it. He's like, how much money do you – we get paid so much money as it is. How much more money do you need, you know? And and they could have used this as, like – they could have used this league as, as leverage to an extent, right, of just being like, look, there are other alternatives out there. I'm not going to go play for them, but they're not going to be the last one here let's try to figure out a different setup than what the PGA has. Cause that was Mickelson's whole point to begin with. The yeah. only difference was Mickelson was like in deep contract negotiations with them. 
like it's almost like when you work for a company and you get an offer from somewhere else and you use that as leverage to try to get a better salary yeah. at your new company. That's essentially what Phil Mickelson was trying to do, but just on a much bigger scale financially with trying to, re you know, change the way that golf works. And that's part of it. it was like you changing golf. It was more important than all of these moral, morally reprehensible people and, and everything that goes along with this. I think you can use it as leverage as long as you make it clear from the get go. I'm not flirting with that shit. I want to stay on the tour. But look, there are going to be other leagues that try to pop out. And let's let's use this as a way to say, like, hey, let's make sure that the Saudi golf league never happens again. Let's make sure that the PGA is the pro, you know, preliminary number one golf league yeah. in the world. And it's happened and, and in every way, sport where other leagues come up and try to challenge. And we're seeing in the in with football now, like and if XFL, you love golf, USFL, you want, all of it. But if you if you love golf, do you want that to be do you want the saudis to have their own league do you want that for the sport if you love I, golf do you want any association I, with that no i think i think that's the counter argument for guys who are moving is like do you want this to be the alternative then like do what we're telling you to do and we won't have to take this blood money like yeah but know? also i think you can do that without taking the blood money. exactly yeah agree and, and I think that's the sad. And there's also some people who I think just wanted more, just went in for the money, just said, I don't give a fuck where this comes from. I just, you're offering me $120 million. I don't know how much like a guy like Lee Westwood's going to make on that tour, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more than what he's making on the PGA now. And you have guys like Richard Bland, who was that, that like, he wasn't an amateur, but he was that like 45 year old guy who was in the lead at the U S open last year. Um, oh yeah remember that guy yeah i mean yeah. he's he's on he joined that league like it's not it's not going to be good television like outside of dj it's like if you put that same group out on a pga course you know for a pga event it would be like the worst pga event of the year in terms of talent that's on the course you know it'd be like that first event after you know the fedex cup yeah kind of thing. i don't want to watch this field yeah. Safeway Open in Tahoe. What? <laughs> Come on, get out of here. <laughs> I will say, uh, Max Homa had a fantastic response to this, which they were like, somebody asked him on Twitter, and they're like, "How much did they did they offer you to go over, Max?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, they offered me as much as DJ, you know, hundred million dollars, but I asked for it in uh, Shroot Bucks and Stanley Nichols. So, uh, and they declined." <laughs> oh, God, love him, uh, Max Homa. Never change. Love Max. All right. Protect him at all costs. <laughs> Enjoy the NBA Finals Game One. Or I guess at this point, we've already watched it. And Game Two, I believe, is on Saturday night. So uh, get excited for that. Uh, we both have the Warriors winning tonight and winning the series, but we'll know more when we talk to you guys on Tuesday. So have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the weather. Uh, go do something fun. Follow us on all of our social medias, and we will talk to you guys. Take it easy, everybody.